This morning, we are starting off in a five-week series that we're calling Kaleidoscopic Gospel. Kaleidoscopic, not just being really fun to say. It's fun. Um, But what we're looking at is how the gospel, as we see it show up within the New Testament, is not simply this canned presentation or speech, but actually this multifaceted, beautiful reality that as we spin it, as we look at it from different perspectives, we actually find it being more uh, grandiose, larger, more beautiful, truthful, powerful, and hopeful than we thought when we first looked at it. But even more than that, this is a five-week series on the work of evangelism. Evangelism, or uh, the churches, the the community of Jesus' people, are calling to preach the gospel or the evangel in evangelism to all the nations. And this calling to bring the gospel to all of the nations, and and for us being here on the west side of Los Angeles, to all of the Angelinos, uh, is not something that we've just kind of concocted or built on or added on over the years. This goes right back to the opening remarks, the setting up, the foundation of the church itself. Jesus, following his resurrection, he gathered up his disciples And as gathering them up, he gave them, this is, hey, church's job description. You ever wonder what the job description is of the church? What are we doing here? It's called the Great Commission. It shows up at the end of Matthew. You can see it right behind me here. Where Jesus came, he gathered up his disciples and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do you see that from the starting, the foundational moment of the church, we have not been called simply to exist for ourselves, but with a go out, make disciples, a sentness to the very reality of what it means to be a Christian. This great commission, the church's job description, is actually baked into our own mission and vision as collective church. Uh, Our mission statement, if you play around on our website, uh, you'll find this, uh, not just on our website, but regularly repeated, that we are a community on the west side, Collective Church, hi, how are you? And we are seeking to reach and teach and equip others to follow Jesus. We are following Jesus, and we're trying to seek, reach, and teach others to do it. This is kind of our take on the Great Commission. And as much as all of us may agree with that, this doesn't necessarily play out within most of our churches. Specifically, you know, if you kind of watch the way that church growth happens here in the city of Los Angeles, it doesn't necessarily happen through baptisms. And by that, I mean new people becoming Christians. Most church growth within our city largely happens because of people moving from one church community to another. You know, kind of get it for a while, we do this one, but then, oh, this one, have you heard their worship now is incredible, right? They're like, Ethan leads worship, and Bryce is awesome. Like, so we're going to make, we're going to come over here. This community is really great, or this preacher's awesome, and this one's, and we, we move from church to church. Now, some of you, you right now, you're sitting here, you're like, that's me. Like, that's why I'm here today. Welcome. We're happy to have you. But, but here's the reality. I, as one of your pastors, as one of the leaders in this community, I am not, as much as we're here, we're excited to have you, we are not a community that seeks to first and foremost grow through just church transfers, through people looking to try something new. We exist to make disciples, to baptize new people finding Jesus and the life and transformation of forgiveness that's found in him. That's why we're here. 
The thing is, is a lot of you are nodding your heads. You're like, yeah, I get them right. Like, this is what we're all about. But here's the problem. As we go, therefore, out into our city, reaching and teaching others to follow Jesus is much easier said than done. Isn't it? Anyone here? No? You guys are all like super evangelists. I'll get off stage. You guys can teach me. I, here's what I find within myself. As I often move into conversations with neighbors or friends about Jesus, I undergo sometimes what we could call the Ned Flanders effect. Hi, diddly ho, neighbor, right? That you're like a totally normal person. And then the conversation starts to get into like faith and spirituality and Jesus. And it's just like the spirit of Ned Flanders overtakes you. And you become, you find yourself being fake like awkwardly cheery in a way that you're not normally, like some of you are like, you know, optimists and really nice people. Like you're, you're always Ned Flanders. The rest of us, this happens. This weird kind of fake cheeriness, this insincere kind of like salesman pitch where we kind of start offering up this kind of canned, you know, pitch of like Christianese language. Like we don't even know what we're, you know, hi, hi diddly ho, right? There's some of us that undergo the Ned Flanders effect. Uh, for others of us, uh, this was, I was talking to my wife this week. This is what she feels like. Is she goes under what we call the Brick Tamland effect. Uh, Brick Tamland, Steve Carell's character in Anchorman, anyone? Where, I mean, if you remember, like, kind of the big quote that he always gets now is this kind of, like, Brick is, like, looking around the room, just like, I love lamp. Like, I love floor. I love, like, you know, Brick, are you just looking around the room saying things that you love? This is what happens is we, like, get into conversations, and they move to being about Jesus, and we just, it's the Brick Tamland effect. We're, I love Jesus, I love church, and like we're just, we're not saying anything, we're just like saying, we're just, we, we don't know, we get uh, weird, we start stammering, we have like made up words that we're like trying to communicate things, we just get confused. Many of us, it's difficult for us even to get into the Ned Flanders, the Brick Tamlet effect. As we live in this increasingly pluralistic culture, it's hard for us to even get into the territory where I would um, begin to impose my particular take, brand, version of faith on you, on my neighbors, on my coworkers. Who am I to say Coke is better than Pepsi? And we can all agree Coke is objectively better than Pepsi, so maybe that's not the best uh, analogy right here. But the whole point being that, that as we live in a more increasingly pluralistic city like Los Angeles, and, and one of the things I really love, the diversity of conversations that that brings out. However, what that can lead us to is to go, well, what sort of objective claims can I make on something like faith, like spirituality, like the person and work of Jesus? If this is working for you and this is working for me, who am I to impose? And so it's difficult for us to even get into the brick, Tamlin, the Ned Flanders approach. Anyone? Feel that, at least a little bit. Thank you. Now, this gets then built around to give us just one more effect, because we always go in threes here. The Henry Ford effect. Uh, Henry Ford, 1909, when he made the first Model T engine, in the, all of the advertisements in the press for it, he said any customer can have a car painted any color that he wants, so long as it's black. Uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright identified that in uh, Western culture today that we have kind of a reversal of this, is any person can have a faith system, a spirituality of any kind they want, as long as it's not Christianity. That there is an increasing amount of, and some of it, let's just be honest, the church has brought on itself. But an increasing amount of that kind of, man, it, it seems like, I, you know, I can, crystals, I can be into whatever level of spirituality I want on the scale or none at all. 
But Christianity is the predominant one within our city that like the moment I say like Jesus, it's kind of, oh, the, the conversation seems to fall apart. We have the Henry Ford effect that makes it difficult not just to be a Christian in a city like L.A., but talk other people into it. Yes? It's evident that we need some help. Evident that we need some sort of guide in not just genuine or coherent, coherent, but, but courageous and convinced evangelism. And so for the past 2,000 years, the book of Acts has served as such a guide, more than just a retelling of those early generations and years of the church. The book of Acts, much like Ephesians that we just wrapped up, has served as a guide for, for Christians saying, what does it mean to live out our job description that this has kind of been this example and portrait of what it looks like? And so over the next five weeks, we're going to be pulling from Acts in 16 in particular, one chapter right in the middle. And this is because Acts 16, most Bible nerds and people that really love to just talk about the Bible have identified that Acts 16 contains the most detailed accounts of evangelism in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is, you know, you have these, you know, chapter two talks all about the life of the church and the preaching of the early church. But Acts 16 gives us these four different portraits of the Apostle Paul having evangelistic conversations and work with people. And as we look at that, we find that once again, Paul doesn't give canned pitch-like Christianese stuff. He has this kaleidoscopic, this multifaceted view of the gospel with diverse implications that are able to meet diverse people in the midst of their diverse needs. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to allow these, these stories of Acts 16 to shape us to have a larger vision of the gospel, not just for the sake of our own hearts, but that as we move out into our city, we might be able to identify what our neighbors and our friends and our coworker and our family members, what is the the big component within the kaleidoscope that they most need to, that they most desperately are actually searching for? Seeing within that then that the gospel is not just our brand of spirituality, but at the end of the day, the answer to the deep questions and searches, the longings and desires of their heart. Our desire is to be a sort of community, a sort of people that have experienced this for ourselves, and then carry that out into our city. And so Acts 16 is where we're going to be today. We're going to be beginning in verse 6, if you want to uh, begin to turn or tap your way there. Because before we begin to look at the kaleidoscopic gospel of the truth and the beauty and the hope and the power, all of those facets that, that, that develop, today we're just going to have a little conversation about the will of God. <laughs> Little and, and will of God being, um, obviously, antonyms. Um, they're the complete opposites. But we're going to try to have a little conversation about the will of God. Because this is the driving component of what leads to good evangelism, is a sense of God's calling and conviction, his desire, his will for our lives. So we're going to look at that in Acts 16 today. As we look at the search for the will of God, the need that the will of God is based in, and the calling that the will of God then sends us out into. Another way of saying this is if the next four weeks are going to be all about how we make disciples of all nations, today is about where do we go, therefore, to go back to our job description. Let's pray, and then let's get into Acts 16 together today. And so, Father, in setting up this series, uh, we've got uh, just a a room of Ned Flanders and Brick Tamlins, and we desire so much to be the sort of representatives missionaries of your gospel to our city. 
God, that even right now we think of coworkers and friends and family members that we just see them and we see, God, they're searching for you even if they haven't identified that that's what they're looking for. So God, we hope that over this next series that you might shape us into a people who are more responsible, more mature as disciple makers, more readily able to teach and help others follow you. And so we pray that you'd be with us through this series. We pray that today as we look at Acts 16, that you would do a work within our hearts, that we would see evangelism, God, not as a a bonus, an add-on, not as something set aside for the spiritual elite, but as the calling of each and every one of us. Help us, we pray. Amen. Well, Acts 16, beginning in verse 6, we look at the search for the will of God with the Apostle Paul. Look with me in verse 6. It's also behind me where it just opens up and says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. (laughs) Evident we're jumping into the middle of the story, right? Like where we've been, we're we're channel surfing and we've just jumped into the middle of the movie. So what's, what's going on here is this they at the beginning in chapter six is referring to Paul years before him ever going and planting Ephesus, years before him writing the letter to the Ephesians that we just finished up last week. He is moving through Asia Minor and uh, with this kind of company of missionaries and other Christians and church planners starting up these new communities of these churches. They're living out their Great Commission calling, seeking to reach, teach, and equip others to follow Jesus. But at this point, Paul and company are searching for the will of God in that calling. They're trying to determine, God, where are you sending us to make disciples? And seemingly without reason, the Holy Spirit, it says, forbids them from going into Asia. Kind of a strange thing to have this clear conviction of of what we're called to do, but then having the Holy Spirit seem to say no in some place where to do it. Even stranger, this happens not just once, but twice. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted then to go into Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So then, passing by Mysia, they went down to the city of Charlas. So, I mean, just imagine here, Paul's frustration, right? So he hears the job description of the church. Go and make disciples. And Paul's like, you got it, Jesus. And he starts going, he's not there. Okay, Jesus. And he's like, not there either. It's like, I don't, I don't know where you want me to go. And so literally, Troas is they walk in between uh, Asia and then Bithynia. They literally just cut in between. They walk the border, and they end up in this city. Some of you coming out of this past year, 2020, and searching for what's next and what God might have for you, you feel like Paul walking into the city of Troas. It just feels like it's been nothing but closed doors for you. You're desperately wanting to live into your purpose, the will of God, what he has for you. And all this past season has felt like is not that way, not that way, not that way. And now here you are walking into the city of Troas and God, what in the world do you want with me? Anyone? At some point, you may feel like Paul today. At some point or other, we have all felt like Paul walking into Troas. Maybe you use different language for it. Maybe it's not the will of God. Maybe your calling, maybe your purpose, the plan of the universe, whatever it may be. All of us have a desire to live into some plan, something that is bigger than us and yet guiding conviction for our whole life. And yet, as we set out to find that, it seems like it's this pinball game of not this and not this, wondering what that may be. If that's you today, or you're just interested 
in this larger idea of discerning the will of God. Actually, when we went through uh, the book of Acts, when we first planted Collective, uh, Pastor Casey Fritz preached on this same text back in February of 2017, a sermon called Derailed, so you can search for that uh, on our podcast feed. I would highly recommend that on that larger theme of discerning the will of God. But for today, as part of our kaleidoscopic gospel series, here's the one thing that you can't miss if you're taking notes. Paul's search for the will of God was bound up in the mission of God. Paul's search for the will of God was bound up in the mission of God, in that great commission calling. Because Paul, like most of the early Christians, understood that at the end of the day, I may be searching for my lowercase w will of God, but the capital W will of God is the great commission is that mission of people coming and finding God. You can find this represented in 2 Peter 3, Matthew 18, John 6, where we find that the capital W will of God is that none should perish, but all should reach repentance, that all might believe in the Son to experience the forgiveness and transformation that is found through faith in Christ, and in doing so, be bound up in him and a part of the resurrection in the age to come. That is the big capital W will of God. And for Paul, and the invitation is for us, is to ask, how much is my search for my lowercase w will of God bound up in that? What place does that capital W will, God's mission, the Great Commission have as you're searching out and considering your purpose, your destiny, the universe's plan, God's will for your life? You see, many people are searching for the will of God, the purpose, vision, something like that on the other side of 2020. People making moves, new city, new job, even within collective that have moved out to, to some other new city or some other place. And what's been hard for me as a pastor in conversations with people to see is how primarily the, the driving components and convictions of those decisions are around comfort, around financial uh, ability, necessity, around even being closer to family. Now here, hear me. None of those things are in and of themselves necessarily wrong. As, as driving components or variables in trying to determine what you want to do with your life, what was so hard for me was finding how, not just that those were leading, but the absolute absence of any kind of component of the W, capital W will of God, the great commission, the calling to make disciples, wasn't even on the radar, wasn't even a part of the conversation. And so you don't hear this purely as coming from me talking about someone else. How often I find that within myself, praying through and considering what I want to do with my life, what I feel called to, and evangelism, making disciples, is at best kind of a little addendum, a footnote in all of it, as opposed to one of the driving themes as I consider my life. Now, some of you may say, well, Paul was, you know, he's the apostle Paul, right? Like, he wrote, like, two-thirds of the New Testament. Like, this is the evangelist, the guy that, like, planted everything. Like, of course, his search for the will of God is bound up in the mission of God. This does not excuse or cancel. Paul's gifting, Paul's calling, Paul's role within the early church does not excuse or cancel every single one of our evangelistic posture that we ought to be living within. Just because this was Paul's vocation, his job, his mission, his gifting, that does not negate or cancel out the fact that the Great Commission was not just given to Paul. It was given to all of us as that guiding component. And so Acts 16 reminds us, sets before us, that whatever the will of God is in your life, whatever it is that you're searching for, 
Acts 16 reveals that, in fact, you will find that by first and foremost setting your attention on the capital W, will of God, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. And so Paul's search for the will of God was bound up in the mission of God. And because it was, in verse 9, we find that he finds, he finds the will of God. Verse 9 says, then, as they arrived to Troas, this vision appeared to Paul in the night. And in the midst of this dream, this man from Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's it, right? That's what I want. You're trying to figure out the will of God. And you're like, all right, cool, make disciples. Where, when, how, who? And it's like, I just need the, the dream in the middle of the night, you know, where there's like my neighbor that I can't stand, but she's like, come over to my house and help me. And it's like, there we go. Now at least I know that's who I'm supposed to go. God, just tell me what to do. And, and while these sorts of visions happen, they absolutely happen. They were rare in the life of the believer, rare even for Paul. And even more than that, these only happen for those who are already actively living into the will of God. You see, visions like this come when someone is in the midst of looking and giving themselves to the mission of God, and yet there is something that they cannot see. There is something that they cannot factor in. Paul, across the sea, knows nothing about what's going on in Macedonia. And so the Macedonian vision comes to help him see what he could not. But that doesn't mean that he was just sitting at home waiting for some sort of vision to tell him what to do. As one pastor, kind of mentor that I had years ago, he put it, you can't steer a parked car. And in the same way, there are some of us, you know, looking for the will of God, and we're just going to sit until it fits within that bubble that we're looking for. But Paul's, he's driving ahead, and he's hoping that God will guide him through his spirit as he does. Now, some of us, let's just look at the vision, though, of what Paul receives here. What is the answer to his search? He's saying, God, where are you calling me? Where do you want us to go there for? How do you want me to go and preach the gospel to use my personality and my giftings and who I am for your kingdom? And the vision that he has is this urging, the word is this pleading or begging from this Macedonian man. Come, help us. The second component of what we find about the will of God is that Paul's search for the will of God was answered in the need of others. Acts 16 shifts our search from the will of God to be not just bound up in the mission of God, but based in the needs of others. Now, this contrasts many common ways of us determining the will of God, specifically within, like, you know, the churchy world. I take some kind of personality test, and, you know, I'm, I, you know, this Enneagram style, where I'm like this, like I'm like a, you know, golden retriever or whatever. It's like, okay, cool. Like, so I'm going to build my whole life now around this vision or or I build it around some you know, spiritual gifting test, or I get some mood board, and I like anoint it with oil, and I make a mess, and I'm like, this is the, the future that God's going to give me. Or we build our idea of the will of God around our wants and our dreams, and Acts 16 calls for us to shift our search for the will of God, not just to the mission of God, but in that, the great need of others. What guides us in figuring out who we are, how God wants to use us is not by looking within, but by looking without. Now, for some of you, you agree with me, but it's like, okay, so where's my vision? Where am I supposed to go? Okay, need of others. Okay, God, like, you know, show me the will. What did Paul eat before dinner to get this, this dream? Because we haven't received a vision, or at least so it seems. 
You see, Paul, like I said, received this vision to help him see what he couldn't, calling him to go where he currently was not. I would argue that each day you and I receive our Macedonian vision. Each day we see the great need of individuals, of people who more or less are looking us right in the eyes and they're saying, not come to Macedonia and help us, but stay in LA and help us. Every coworker, every neighbor, every regular at your coffee shop, every family member, every friend, every person who had that, you know, every, and by every neighbor, I mean every neighbor. Like there's people in my head right now that I'm just like, mm, them? But that... The whole point of Paul's vision was to help him see what he could not, to help him see a people that he currently wasn't around. But you and I don't need a vision at night when we're asleep because we receive our vision every day when we're awake of people that we've been called to help. This is based, this stay in LA and help us is, is based in the language that we use here at Collective of being embedded missionaries or maybe some of you uh, may have heard of like missional living, this kind of talk. This idea of being an embedded missionary. The idea being that we are not necessarily sent on mission to go somewhere else, but sent on mission to where we already are. And this is rooted in a belief that God, not only like Paul here, pushes his people to new places to preach, he's also placed his people in their places to preach. Paul, in his sermon on Acts 17, the way that he put it, you'll see it behind me, is that God determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their being humans, all of us, our dwelling place, so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way to him and find him. Do you see what Paul just said there? Their allotted periods, the time, when they live, and the boundaries of their dwelling place where you live. Some of us maybe want to have a conversation with God about picking 2020 for us, you know, maybe. But regardless... Paul has an understanding here that God is at work within this world and so at work within this world that he has determined, he has set you and I, not just in the years that we're here, but in the places that we live, that your address, your apartment, your home, your job, you think you work at the place you work because like that's you know, what you just you know, went to college and like this was the first thing that opened or because you're really, really good at it, and maybe you are. Paul would say, even in the midst of your gifting that got you that job, there's a deeper work that God's at work within that, that he has set you in that place specifically for what? So that they should seek God and perhaps feel in their way to him, find their way to him, that you live in the place that you do, work in the place that you do. You like the coffee that you like and go to the one that you go to not just because of the fact that you love single-origin Ethiopian, amen, but because what if God is so at work within your story and your life that he has wired you with the interests and the job and the housing that you have specifically to put you in the context of people that he's calling you to help, that you might receive that vision of them there. This is about being embedded missionaries, and it means that we assume that God is at work in every single component of our life. As much as we may hate our neighbors, we're actually called to help them. And so the question that some of us always have, like, where is God calling me? What is God calling me? Who is God calling me to? Acts 17, and this vision here says you are swimming in it. You are swimming in a city of deep and great needs. Many of those needs that so regularly push people out of our city, those in fact are the evidence of the fact that you've been called here. 
As Tim Keller put it in his book on city living, he said, if you are in a city or a community that is broken, where people are burned out or spiritually lost, even where there is violence, stay as long as you can. You see, we have been predicated, we live in such a way that if I were to be in a city or community that was broken, where people were burned out, where I was in a community where people were spiritually lost, where there was violence, everything about how I've been raised within this American's vision is I leave that neighborhood. I leave that city. You could just add, if you're in a city where you, you know, don't have a lawn, where you have to deal with traffic, where you stay as long as you can, the very things that cause most people to flee, those of us who've been shaped by the work of Jesus, we see those as the very reason we're here. And so Paul's calling, his search for the will of God was not based primarily in his desires, his gifting, or his personality, but in the needs of the world around him. And you and I are invited to the very same shift today. And as a side note, this is true in evangelism, and this is true in all of our disciple-making work in our life of the local church, that as we look for what our calling is, what is the will of God, the fundamental driving component is not my gifting or what I wanna do or how I, wanna, I can serve, but about what are the needs of my community. So if I can just <laughs> throw this out here. Some of you are asking, God, what is your will? Where do you want me to serve? Maybe you ask your pastors, where can I help? Where can I serve? And we bring you a Macedonian vision that says, come over to the kids' ministry and help us. And you say, nah, (laughs) that's not really my gifting. That's not really my thing. The fundamental driving component of where the will of God is found is when we give ourselves not to what I want or even what I think I'm most suited for, but actually self-giving in the context of where there's deep need. And I can just say, even as I know sometimes, you know, those of you that don't know me or my story, it's like, well, that's easy for you to say. You're the guy up here with the Bible. My, my whole journey into being where I am today and being able to pastor, and it's like, man, I had such an incredible day with, with some people from Collective yesterday that, like, it is such a blessing that I get to do this. But, but the whole work of how this started was, like, me working with, like, toddlers and help and like helping in like little kid church you know and I'm like a sixth grade like who wants like a cool sixth grade you're trying to be cool you know spiked hair and like frosted tips in like the early 2000s who wants to hang out with toddlers right not me and yet what I found was it was so encouraging to begin to see the worst work happening where like even now like I I, you know it's just and then it it just and and it grows from there where I was doing setup and teardown, where then I was, like, literally, we, we, I was part of this mega church growing up where you had this giant parking lot, and so they're like, what do we do with these, like, crazy middle schoolers? And so they had us, like, stand out by the parking lot and just wave at cars as they drove in. Like, just, hi, and that was it. They're like, don't let them talk to them. Like, like at best, see them. Like, just like, hi, we're just waving at people. And I, I began to start, um, as I was doing this for a couple of years, one of the um, board members of the church, this old elderly man, he would serve with us and he had this golf cart that he would drive us and like drop us all off. And every now and then you'd get posted with him. And this guy's a board member. If anybody could be like, that's, I'm serving the church, I'm in the role, I'm good to go. It's this, you know, guy, or I'm just old. Like the dude was old enough to just be like, I'm gonna sit down and come to church. And he's out there with a bunch of middle schoolers waving at cars. And so, and and. You know, he'd make hot chocolate for all of us, like little middle schoolers. Like, we just fell in love with this, this board member. 
elderly man. And I just remember, you know, he'd always do like a little devotional, like for these little middle schoolers, you know, before we'd go out and wave at cars. And uh, I just remember one of these days that he talked about how he had um, been inviting his neighbors to come to their, their church for, you know, weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years. And they finally came and um, he didn't know they were coming, but they, like, there was something about him retelling this story that as they came into the parking lot and there were people waving at them, it was this immediate thing of, like, hospitality, where they had had, like, the roughest day, that isolation, friend breakup, like, all this stuff, and coming into church and just having people, like, greeting them, just sitting out there waving in, like, the, the wet rain or whatever, um, as I did many, many weeks, was this thing that just, it, they immediately felt at home, hospitality settled in ultimately these friends of his that became Christians. And so this elderly man, he now like, that'd be, he adopted that ministry. Not because any, who, anybody can wave, right? Like anybody can sit out there and greet people. But he saw the need of what that service was, was filling. And he could have done anything he wanted, but because he saw the need within the role, he gave himself to it. That's for free. That wasn't in my notes. But the whole point being, the compelling work of finding the will of God is not first and foremost about your gifting. You find your gifting as you give yourself to the needs of others. That's the compelling vision. That pulls us into evangelism. Our final verse, verse 10, where hearing this vision, seeing this vision, seeing the deep need of others in Macedonia, verse 10 says, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice how quickly everything shifts within the story, at hearing the need in the city of Macedonia. They immediately just, they jump, they're ready to go. They conclude, that's the vision, and the vision is based not in like, Paul, you're great at preaching. It's like, okay, cool. Like, Macedonia has like really good numbers. And it's like, okay, cool, we're, that's where we're going. Seeing that it was based in the need of others, they identify this is the calling. And so they, they hit the road. They make their way to preach the gospel in and around the region of Macedonia. So summarizing what we've just seen today, coming out of the past year, looking for the will of God, the search for the will of God, invited and seen here, must be bound up in the mission of God. Your search for your lowercase w will of God has to be bound up in the capital W will of God, the mission, the great commission to make disciples. This mission of God that is based not in us living into our whatever self-actualization process, but in the needs of others around us. And then that is met through the work, the calling to preach the gospel. This calling to preach the gospel is where we're going to be going in the coming weeks. Looking at how for Paul, it's not a canned pitch presentation, but this multifaceted gospel, which is turned and, and viewed in light of the conversations he has, that then meets diverse people and their diverse needs. That the gospel is this incredibly radiant diamond with all of these facets that as you spin, lights up the room. A kaleidoscope that as you look into the light and spin it, more and more beauty comes forward than what you saw when you first glanced. It's a kaleidoscopic gospel of beauty, truth, power, and hope. And so next week, we're going to be looking at the beauty of the gospel with my friend, Pastor Heath Hardesty, coming down as we look at the story of Timothy in, first Tim in, in Acts 16, 1 through 5. But as we close today, kind of the closing question is why for all of this? 
Why are we sent as embedded missionaries or missionaries at all? Why this calling to go and preach the gospel to all the nations? Why this calling to go and make disciples? Why is God's uppercase and lowercase will for us so bound up in this? Because the gospel, the good news of what we believe as Christians, the gospel has revealed Jesus himself has shown us that our God himself is a missionary God. That he does not call you and I to something that he has not done himself. If you are here and you identify you are a Christian, you have received the reality-shaking truth that God in Christ was sent to us to meet us in our great need. He was a missionary embedded who, who didn't just go but stayed and embedded himself into humanity with all of its great needs and all of its mess, looking at you, committing himself to you in the midst of all of your great needs and all of your mess, all of my mess. A missionary God who bound himself up in relationship, in love, in commitment to a broken and flawed humanity and world in the midst of all of its needs and fractures. This is what we believe, that through him, that he has met us, he has been with us, as, as Alyssa led us a, a moment ago, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. This is what it means. Emmanuel is the story that we have a missionary God who comes and dwells with us, that he might bring grace and forgiveness and transformation through his self-giving love and his cross and his resurrection. This is why you're here today. It's why we're gonna sing in a moment. It's what our table is all about that our God is a missionary God. And as Christians, as the church, we believe at the bottom of our hearts that the missionary God is not one who just saves us, but we are shaped by him. We are then sent like Jesus now to help others in the midst of their great need that we bring Jesus out into others' lives. As we, like Jesus, see the great need and give ourselves, we embed ourselves in the midst of all of the need and all of the mess, and we pour out ourselves, not in the name of some self-actualization or some kind of board where we get to clap everybody and celebrate however many friends you brought to church this week, but we give ourselves in light of the fact that God has given himself for us. To make it even more personal, each and every single one of us are here today because someone in your life searched God's will. Someone in your life saw you in the midst of all of your mess and all of your great and deep needs and in whatever way in that moment experienced their little version of a Macedonian vision where they heard, not, not come to Macedonia and help us, but stay with me and help me. And they saw that in your life. And they met you with their transformed and transforming presence and the good news of the gospel, displaying that through their own lives and inviting you along for the adventure. And you, you jumped right in. Some of you, it's been a life of following Jesus. Some of you are just here sitting in the seat today because somebody, somebody has invited you to see this as part of that journey, part of that adventure. All of us are here today because of someone acting as an embedded missionary in our lives. It's been the story over the past 2,000 years. The book of Acts all the way up into your story today has been the story of people being embedded missionaries 
of searching for the will of God, locking that up, bounding that up in the mission of God, basing it in the needs of others and meeting other people with a proclamation, a message, a communication, a conversation around the gospel. And the whole point is, are we going to continue that story within our own lives or not? Let's pray.